Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Would you take your Bibles and open them to Hebrews chapter 5? As we continue our study through the book of Hebrews, we've started a new section in Hebrews as we're looking at the high priest and how Jesus is the greatest high priest. There is none greater. He's the fulfillment of what we learned last time in Leviticus chapter 16, where there was a human high priest that God appointed in order to take the blood of the sacrifice of the bull and goat right into the Holy of Holies and with his own hands spread blood on the lid of the Ark of the Testament, the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of Testimony, which was known as the mercy seat, which we learn that Jesus is our mercy seat today, that no longer do we need to spread blood on a box, but no, God has promised to meet us in the person of Jesus Christ by faith. So he himself gave his own blood on the cross. And the author to the book of Hebrews, Paul, I believe, is writing a strong word to say, don't go backwards, don't go back to religion. You have the fulfillment of all that you've hoped for in Jesus Christ. And he says in verse one, for every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also beset by weakness. Because of this, he's required, as for the people, so also for himself, to offer for sins. No man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. And we learn of the importance of the role of the high priest He was chosen by God to represent men to himself, that he was to be man's representative before God. He was to be used to take the needs of men before the presence of God. And he spoke on behalf of God. He spoke on behalf of God to men and on behalf of men to God, offering gifts and sacrifices that were prescribed by God. Remember, we're to worship God the way that he prescribes. And notice, he's to be taken from among men and he's to be appointed for men in verse one. And he is to be one of them to have, why? Compassion in verse two. He's to have compassion. And we learn that Jesus is a compassionate high priest. Remember verse 15 of chapter four? It says, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. There's to be a connection between the priest and the people. Don't miss that. A sympathetic, compassionate connection. That a priest was a people too. That he was one of the congregation, even though he had a special role and a special responsibility. He never ceased to be in need of the sacrifice himself. He wasn't to exalt himself over another, which is exactly what the religious rulers did in the time of Jesus. That by the time Jesus Christ came in the first century, he came with a strong rebuke to those that were supposed to be representing God to the people. 
they had taken the place of Moses' seat, which is a place of leadership. But you'll recall Jesus said, you hear that they're there in Moses' seat. Let me read it to you in Matthew 23, verse 1. It says, Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples saying, the scribes and the Pharisees, these were the religious rulers, the scribes and the Pharisees, they sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do, but do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. They're raging hypocrites. So what they're saying is right, but what they're doing is wrong. It would be the equivalent today. If Jesus was come today and say, hey, you know those pastors up in the pulpit, I want you, they're, they're there in a place of authority. I want you to do what they say because they're reading it from the Bible, but don't do what they're doing because they're raging hypocrites. Wouldn't that be sad? That would be a sad place to be if our, pulpit, our pulpits were filled with hypocrites. No, the person in the place of spiritual leadership needs to remember that he is a person in need of forgiveness and grace himself. And so consider this, just like then, today it is wrong for a minister, for a pastor, for a spiritual leader to exalt himself above people. It's just plain wrong. It's not to be done by those that are serving Jesus Christ. It's sinful. You know, men have a tendency to corrupt really good things. They, they could take something perfect and make it imperfect. And, and, and many of that, much of that makes sense because, you know, the position of pastor leader in a church is a perfect position. It's what God ordained. But it's filled with imperfect men. And so therefore, you can take something that's perfect and make it imperfect. But you can take that very, very far. And, and it frustrates me to no end when on occasion I'm flipping through the channels and I see there are men and a, a, even a few women that are taking advantage of a place of spiritual leadership to draw people after themselves and to take advantage of people. And you'll hear really nonsensical things. The idea that if you send in your money right now and if you text it right now, my anointing will be your anointing. How foolish. Nobody owns the anointing of God. The anointing of God belongs to God. It's not to be sold. You want the anointing of God today? Ask God to anoint you. It's free. He gives his Holy Spirit to anybody that asks. And it's wrong. It's wrong for a person in a place of spiritual leadership to take advantage of people in the name of God. It's wrong. It's sinful. It's not to be done. And this whole idea that, that entered in many years ago, this false teaching of the separation of clergy and laity, of the priest and the people is unbiblical. And it's amazing when you study the Bible, the, the most popular false teachings, when you read the Bible, the Bible teaches the exact opposite. If we can just learn to read our Bibles and pray every day, the Holy Spirit will give us discernment to dismiss a lot of the things that are just kind of taken for granted, but the Bible teaches against it. God, the Bible never teaches, in our own text today, it says that the priest can have compassion. He can be sympathetic. Why? Because he himself, in verse 2, is a man. He's beset by weaknesses. Not only that, but he has, when he goes to offer the sacrifice, he offers one specifically for himself so he doesn't forget that the priest is a people too. He has no right. A spiritual leader has no right to look down on people and speak condemnation or judgment to them. He wasn't to exalt himself over another, but rather to live in a humble way, 
Jesus demonstrated to us that very model of ministry, and you can jot it down in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. This is God in human flesh, church. This is God who came and took on a human carcass, fully God and fully man. And what did he model for us? According to Mark chapter 10, verse 45, it says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And it's wrong for a leader to set himself on a pedestal and pretend to be untouchable. It is wrong for men and women to stand in positions of spiritual leadership and give off this air like they're sinless, like they never make a mistake, and that if you give and if you have a lot of faith, one day you might be like them. Listen, you're already like them because they are they are human beings and demonstrating to you, by the way, if anybody ever tells you that they're sinless, while they're speaking, they're actually sinning right there in your presence because they're not telling you the truth. And any pastor, any leader, any overseer, the more time you spend with them, the more you will see how real they are and how similar they are. Just as it's wrong just as it's wrong for a leader to put himself on a pedestal, it's also wrong for the followers of God to place a man or a woman on a pedestal. It's wrong for us to exalt men to positions that only belong to Jesus Christ. It's wrong for us to look at a pastor or a leader and somehow think that they're different than we are. That like, as if they got there by reading the Bible more or they got there by praying more. No, no, you'll see in a moment, anyone serving you got there by the will of God. It was his sovereign purpose and truly the people that God uses, it's the foolish things of the world. Why? So that you can see if God can use a man like me, truly, I mean this with all my heart, if God can use a man like me, then he can use anyone. Like there's no one outside of the usefulness of God. Through the repentance of sin, there's nothing special about me, nothing I mean, you can, you can spend some time with me and you'll learn that I don't, when I walk, I don't float two inches above the ground. Like my feet are on the same ground that yours are. You know, in the middle of the night, you wonder, you might wake up and go, oh, I wonder, is he glowing? Does he have a halo? No. You'll find out that I need forgiveness just like you do. And I take great honor to be able to serve you. But there's nothing special about me. It's the grace of God. And so just like it's, I'm not to put myself on a pedestal, neither are you to put me on a pedestal. And I think that a lot of the nonsense we see on television today, it would go away if people would just stop doing that. They would just say, no, no. They just stand up and go, no, man, you're a sinner just like me. And it sounds like you're even a greater sinner because your hand is in my back pocket. And just keep your hand off my wallet. Your tithes and offerings, they belong to the Lord. You can't buy the anointing of God. You can't buy success. You can't buy prominence. You can't buy a healing. None of that's for sale. It's all free. Freely we receive, freely we give. It's all free. God wants to bless your life and is blessing your life. You are living right now as a born-again believer in the blessings of God. He is blessing you. He loves to bless you. And even today, if you don't have a relationship with God, listen, you are living in the blessings of God because you're still alive. And God's patience towards you is unto salvation. 
You wonder, well, why hasn't God judged me yet? Because Jesus Christ took the full weight and penalty for judgment of your sins, and God is patient with you. So please be careful not to interpret the patience of God as the approval of your sinful ways. (laughs) Because God doesn't approve of them, but he loves you. And I'm grateful for the patience of God. I'm grateful that he allowed me to endure so much difficulty and, and so many things that he spared me from to get to the point where I could hear the gospel and repent of my sins. Notice, not only that, as we learn about the high priest, we need to remember in verse 4 now that no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just like Aaron. Nobody can take this honor to himself. Nobody could wake up in the morning and declare themselves a priest or a high priest. They had to come very specifically through a family line, and then everyone in that family line, all, they all weren't high priests. It was God's selection. You remember, the high priest needed to come through the family of Aaron, through his son Levi, and then Levi had three sons, and it had to be through specifically the son Kohath. That's the only line that you could be born in in order to be the high priest. And nobody could be a priest apart from the family of Aaron and the family of Levi. That was God's way. That was his prescription, right? We learned you cannot worship God any old way. God describes and prescribes for us how we're to worship him, and he laid it out for us. You couldn't appoint yourself. And what's true then is true now. You and I, we cannot appoint ourselves to a place of ministry or leadership. We cannot do that. No man takes this honor to himself. And I have to say, in the many, many years that I've had the privilege of serving Jesus Christ, I have met a lot of men who have appointed themselves as leaders in the church, or at least attempted to. And they've come and they've declared that this is what God has told them to do, and and instead of building relationship, they just kind of take it upon themselves. And they'll come and introduce themselves and say, this is why I'm here and this is why God sent me here. And it's like, but but we don't even know you. We haven't even seen anything in your life. We don't know what you've been called to. We haven't seen any fruit. We haven't seen you go through any difficulties. We don't know you. You may or may not be called by God, but give us some time and let's build a relationship and we'll see if God has called you to be a leader. But you see, you cannot take this honor upon yourself. You have to be called by God. And that calling has to be evident both to you and to others. You can't self-ordain yourself. You can't just print up some business cards, set up a website, start writing on Facebook as if God, you have appointed yourself the new leader of the church and set up your YouTube videos. And your, Look, you can do all of that, but that doesn't mean it's from the Lord. And I have met many people in this very building that come up to me, hand me a business card, tell me about a website, and say, I am God's appointed. I'll give you one example. It was a few years ago, and it was around the anniversary of Columbine. That was his first mistake, because the brother came in, uh, whether he's a brother or not, but the guy came in with a big black trench coat. So let's just say, before he ever talked to me, he met a lot of our security folks here. That was a bad idea. He comes up to me, flips out, I mean, he must have practiced this, flipped out his business card, and he gave it to me. You know what it said? It said, Michael the Archangel, messenger of God. Michael, he's here. Let me just say, I wasn't in the best of moods that day. And unfortunately, some days I'm in better moods than others. So I engaged the guy in conversation. He handed me his business card. Michael, the archangel. 
You know, bro, I don't think you're Michael the Archangel. Oh yeah, I'm Michael the Archangel sent from God and the message I have from God is you and I, I'm gonna destroy this church and you and me, Ed, are gonna rebuild it. Really? I don't, the Lord's never talked to me about destroying any church. As a matter of fact, I see him building the church and people are getting saved. And so I say, so I say, are you really Michael the Archangel? Yeah, I'm Michael the Archangel. I was like, bro, I don't believe you. And, and then I asked him, I said, and, and <laughs> And so it was, I wasn't, it, just, just bear with me. I, I just cut me some slack. It was a bad day. I said, bro, show me your wings. He goes, I don't got no wings. And, and no, no, he wasn't too happy about that question. I said, man, I don't know. You just don't, you know, the Bible says when angels show up, people are scared, man. I'm not scared of you. You're not, there's nothing about you that, and, and he's like, no, I am. And you know, if you don't do this, the judgment of God, I'm like, hey, look, listen. Uh, I could take whatever God has for me, but you, God didn't send you here. I mean, you don't even have a Bible, man. Don't you think an angel today would be carrying a Bible? You don't even have a Bible. Quote me a couple verses. And it went on like that. And he's like, I'm not quoting universe. I'm like, well, bro, I don't think you're my, and just walk where I can take. And oh, by the way, take your business card with you because I don't believe you are who you are. Seriously, I meet people like that a lot. I mean, that's the top one. That's why I'm sharing it with you. That's the top one. I mean, I don't know. Hopefully everything's all right. He's, Michael the Archangel is going to be flying in here and going, bro. You know, I mean, but I meet these people all the time and I understand that. Like they're self-appointing themselves. And that's just not how God works. The Bible says that God raises up one and puts down another. And, and even as verse four says, no man will take this upon himself. You can't take this, no, don't miss this word, honor It is an honor to serve God. It is an honor to lay your life on the sacrificial table to serve him, to pour into other people. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, it's challenging. Yes, but so is life. Life is challenging. But I'll tell you what's more challenging. What's more challenging is taking this honor upon yourself because God doesn't take too lightly to that. That that guy, he's gonna have to answer to God, not me. But he won't get access to this church, I'll tell you that. I mean, if God wants access to this church, he knows how to get it. And it's not by coming in and handing me a card. I didn't even know angels had cards, man. I read in the Bible, you don't need a card to announce yourself. It's obvious. I'd fall down and be afraid. Listen, don't take this honor to yourself. You must be called of God with evidence among the elders, fruit flowing from your life. You know, when you see on occasion us uh, as a church family, bringing a man and his family up here to lay hands on them and ordain them into the ministry, we aren't ordaining them in our own effort and energy. Like there's nothing that we have that can convey that to a man. When we ordain a man in the ministry and send his family out, we are just simply telling you we see the hand of God in their life. We agree with God about their ordination. It's not us, we don't have any power in ourselves. Uh, you, you, you serve here, God will raise you up or put you down. Like, just serve the Lord with gladness. Spiritual authority is not something you take upon yourself. So often, you know, Paul would even describe himself, and this guy was the key leader of the New Testament. He would describe himself as what? A bondservant. I mean, if he had an office and a door, on the door would say, I'm just a servant of the Lord. That's it. I'm just a servant of the Lord. That's why I've always been challenged when people want to call me reverend or senior pastor or whatever. I'm just a man that serves the Lord. I know my role. I know what God's called me to do, but I'm no different than you. 
And this is a work of God in my life. This is not the work of man. And I, so I serve God with the, the place of, I can only go lower for him, not higher. To be more usable in his kingdom in these last days, not less usable. And it's important. I want to show you an example of what it looks like of how God views someone taking leadership to himself. Would you turn back now as we wind down to Numbers chapter 16. So we're going to go way back. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Numbers chapter 16. To the left, all the way back in the Old Testament. I want to introduce you to a man by the name of Korah. Because Korah is an example of someone that took leadership upon himself and challenged the God-appointed leadership. And it didn't end well. Many of you are familiar with this true story. But pick up with me in verse 1 of Numbers chapter 16 where it says, Now Korah the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, with Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab and On, the son of Peleth, the sons of Reuben, took men. And they rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, representatives of the congregation, men of renown. This is a pretty significant rebellion. Korah, it says in verse 1 that he took men, but in verse 2 we see that he influenced 250 leaders of the congregation. Key men, people that were very important, influencers, people that were looked to for leadership. He's able to get 250 leaders to agree with him as he's stirring up strife, as he's stirring up division, as he's envious and jealous of God using Moses. And he was an important man, Korah was. You can see if you look back in verse 1, Korah was, was not just some random guy. He was exactly what you would look for when you're looking for the high priest. He, notice in verse 1, he's the son of Ishar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, all the way back to Aaron. That's the lineage of the high priest. So he was a man with influence. But he was able as men with influence are able to do from time to time when they lose their way in the spirit to influence other people to follow him and gather people around. You could say that he's looking for the disgruntled. He's looking for the upset. He's looking for people that agree with him. He's looking to stir up strife. And he's able to find 250 men, not just anyone, but key people. And it's so much what, what is the fruit of church splits today in so many where... Unfortunately, men and women decide to rise up. They decide to take action. Something needs to change here. I don't like it. I don't like what's happening. You're not doing it right. Instead of becoming a part of the solution, instead they want to split and divide and literally take advantage of people. Stirring up strife and discord, it's just wrong. And we already know that from the Proverbs because in one of the things the Proverbs declares that God hates, he says this, and he says it straight up. I love God because he doesn't pull any punches. He's, God is not passive aggressive. He just says it like it is. And what does God say? He hates those who sow seeds of discord. Where? Among the brethren. It's not approved by God. Korah is here sowing seeds among, of discord among the brethren. And notice... They gather together, verse 3, against Moses, against the leadership, and Aaron, and said to them, and it sounds very spiritual, doesn't it? You take too much upon yourselves, for all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves among the congregation of the Lord? 
That's an interesting thing to say because you Bible students know Moses didn't want this gig. He didn't want this. When God's hand was upon him, he responds, I can't do it. I don't want to send someone else. And God was very gracious because Moses was his choice and he put Aaron alongside of him and said, hey, you can go, but you're going to go with Aaron. And he says, okay, I'll go. So this idea of Moses exalting himself isn't true. Moses was a servant. And many times he wanted to back out of the thing. He says, I don't know, why'd you choose me? Why'd you put me among these people? And stirred up all kinds of things in our brother's heart. But it's interesting. Oh, he's exalting himself. Why? Because God was using him. He was being used. He was ministering to the people. He was being used in miraculous ways that were giving God the glory. But Korah didn't like that. And neither did the 250 people. And so when when you're accused of being exalted, this is the right response. Verse 4. So when Moses heard it, he fell on his face. And that's a familiar posture with Moses. And if you like to write in your Bibles, I have it in my, I just, I just wrote this down. I circled the word exalt and I circled the word fell and I wrote little arrows because that's how it should be. We're never to exalt ourselves. We're to fall on our face before the Lord. It's an interesting contrast that God himself gives to us. And you know, remember this church, divisive language always sounds good at first. You're in a place where you're looking for encouragement, something has happened, someone has wronged you, and then when you know it, someone that comes along in your life, someone maybe you even trust, maybe another leader, another pastor, go, oh, it's okay, it's okay, everything's gonna be fine. The way they did things before, oh, it's so much worse than what we do, and you find this conversation, it sounds so spiritual and even comforting in the beginning, but the problem is, is that it's coming from someone that doesn't really care, because anyone that cares Like if you have at odds with someone, you have odds with someone in your life, someone in your family, you have odds with someone in a church, you have odds with another leader, a pastor, whatever. You know that that person was sent by God when they send you back to the person to resolve it. They came from God. You know why? The Bible says that. If your brother sinned against you, you go to him and him alone share that offense and if your brother hears you what does the bible say you've won your brother that's the heart of god the heart of god is not division the heart of god is not animosity and strife the heart of god is not oh you know they hurt me over here but these treat me so much no this is the body of christ do you know that when we get to heaven the kind of divisions that we see in the body of christ today aren't going to be in heaven did you know that We were talking about this uh, just on our drive recently. We're just like, you know, all the little divisions and and distinctions we make on earth aren't going to be that way in heaven. The church is a lot larger than we're willing to accept. There are people that are going to get saved that when you get to heaven, you're going to look at them and go, you made it to heaven? I mean, in some hyper churches, and you didn't even go to our church and you made it? But then they're going to turn around and go, dude. I never thought I'd see you in heaven. And you're going to have a conversation. You're going to hug. You're going to be like, we made it. We made it. And all the divisions are going to be gone. Korah is in sin right here. As a key leader among the people of God, he's in sin by causing strife and division. And notice God's response. Moses, you know, he falls on his face. He cries out to God. And he says, Jump to verse 27. 
So they got away from around the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, and Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the door of the tents, their wives, their sons, and their little children, which, which by the way, your sin always affects other people, especially the ones that are closest to you. And Moses said, verse 28, by this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them of my own will. If these men not dry naturally like all men, or if they're visited by the common fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. And so basically he's saying, you know what guys, if you live beyond today and you live a full life, then I'll, I'll admit I wasn't sent by God. But, check this out, if the Lord creates a new thing, verse 30, and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them up and all that belongs to them and they go down alive into the pit, then you'll understand that these men have rejected the Lord. See, they came against Moses, but they actually came against God. You'll notice that distinction all the time. So he's saying, look, if you live a long life, if you, basically he's saying, if you survive today, I'll admit I wasn't sent, but if, if the, and he didn't do anything like, you know, if the, if the cloud, if there's a cloud in the sky, I mean, he was very precise. If the ground opens up and swallows you alive, then I think we'll know who sent who, who God sent. I think that's a pretty bold thing, don't you? So what happens? What happens? <laughs> it came to pass, verse 31, that as he finished speaking all these words, oh no, the ground split apart under them and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with all their households and all the men of Korah with all their goods. And so they and all those with them went down alive into the pit. The earth closed over them and they perished from among the congregation. And then Israel, who were all around them, fled at their cry, for they said, lest the earth also swallow us up. And a fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering incense. Yikes. God does not take kindly to divisiveness, especially from spiritual leaders. Of all the people that we should be working in unity, it's those of us that are in places of spiritual leadership. God judges this sin of rebellion. Probably the mo one of the most sorrowful things about this is that their family paid the price. Korah's family paid the price. It'll take you out, it'll take you down, and it'll destroy a family. You think what you're doing is okay? You think that it won't affect anyone? You think, well, if I get caught, then I'm the one who will pay? Yet there's a price that's for everyone that's close to us that the family pays for sin. And I just say God is serious about this church of who he sets up and uses in ministry that we can't take it upon ourselves. We need to find our calling and discover our gifts and serve in that way. Because Aaron represents Jesus Christ here as the high priest. And apart from Jesus Christ, there is no other way. And the significance of setting yourself up as a leader is to undermine the perfect will of God. And you know, those of us that lead, especially those of us that, that, that teach the Bible, uh, you got to understand the thing that really dif differentiates us is that the Bible says, I'm going to face a stricter judgment. I don't know what that is, but it certainly concerns me as I open the Bible and study and I pour my life in to praying and studying the Bible so that I might serve this church this way. It's why I can't take a lot of appointments. It's why I can't be at every event. It's why I can't do everything that perhaps other pastors might be able to do or I even would want to do it because I must take my calling seriously 
Because if I fail in my calling and I just phone it in or I just download a message from the internet, it's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt your life. You don't need to hear some wooden message that I bought on the internet at findasermon.com, which I'm not sure if that exists. I just made it up, but I bet it does. It's like, Ed, I'm looking up now. I'm buying a subscription. I'm going to check. No, I'm, I'm, I, I, I need to pour over and labor in the word in prayer so that I'll be open to a work of the Holy Spirit because your family matters to me. I've been sent to Colorado to serve you and to be available to you. Of all the people that have come through our church, all the people I've had the privilege of serving, I take it very seriously. And therefore, I realize that I have a stricter judgment. I don't want to stir up strife. I don't want to be divisive. And, and as a leader of the church, I also will train and teach other men to do the same thing, to care for this flock and to put away divisiveness and to bring unity and harmony in the body of Christ. Because that's where we're headed, gang. We're headed to more unity. The closer we get to heaven, the more unified we'll be. Because when we breathe our last and we wake up in the presence of God, that's all that's gonna matter is Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So Father, we thank you for the privilege of studying your word and just knowing uh, the reality of, of your love for us. And we don't take this upon ourselves. You, and I just pray for those that are sowing seeds of discord, those that are propping themselves up and, and even uh, getting people to follow them, drawing people after themselves. May you protect us from doing that and may you deal righteously with those that are, that we might live lives free of this drama uh, and craziness and just live our lives in such a way to live. We don't wanna be like Korah, no way. We want to be free of the bondage of division. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.